Adventure Rider Radio Raw is a spin-off from Adventure Rider Radio that we do each month. Roundtable talks about motorcycles and travel. And on this episode of ARR Raw, we discuss um, countries that are easy to get through border crossings. And at what point did you feel like you just wanted to turn around and go home? We've got some interesting stories around these things. Also, Graham Field tells us about a, a Valentine's gift he ordered for his girlfriend. <laughs> get this. He goes online and he orders it. A- I got a something from Valentine's Day. And when we finish the show, I'll tell you guys what it is. But there's no way I'm saying it on air. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a second. Sorry about that. We actually had to edit that piece out. It was that bad. Also today, we're going to talk about handling everyday things like renting your house and getting your bills paid, getting your insurance paid, keeping things up to date while you're out on a trip. We've got some good tips about how to handle those sorts of things. Really important if you're heading off on any sort of adventure at all. This and a lot more coming up. Now, as you know, Adventure Rider Radio and even ARR Raw is powered by some ads and your support. And we really appreciate the support that we get from listeners because we couldn't do it without your help. So we have a support page set up at www.adventureriderradio.com and you can support with any amount. You can Anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker that we send out as showing our appreciation. But anything $50 or more gets you a mention on this show right now. And, and that's it if you want to do it. I mean, you can opt out too. So for this month, some really generous listeners have have donated $50 or more, and I, and I want to just give them a shout-out. So here they are, Paul Gerard, Jim Mark, Steve Hudman, Michael Harding, Antonio Robertson, Pascal DeJoseph. Thank you very much. It was very generous of you guys. And of course, no matter what you did for support, if you've helped support the show, we truly appreciate it. We are very grateful uh, for any size support we get for the show. So here we go. ARR Raw for February 2018. Media Studios on the shores of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, Canada. It is February 2018, and welcome to Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Roundtable discussions about motorcycles, travel, and anything else that crosses our mind, completely unscripted, raw, and personal. My name is Jim Martin, and today at the virtual roundtable afforded through the magic of the internet, I am joined by my regular Overland co-hosts, starting in Australia, Shirley and Brian. How you doing? Good afternoon. We're doing really well, thank you. How could you not be doing well when the sun's shining and the sky's blue? And you're in summer yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah it's summer <laughs> and I've just been for a ride and I've just come back. I'm nice and relaxed, chilled out, and now talking to my best mates from around the world. Very nice. And uh, back into British Columbia, we've got Grant Johnson. Good evening, Grant. Good evening, everybody. We've been having a good time here. What do you Our mean? weather is actually... Not too bad. We've had some beautiful sunny days, but I hear the forecast is for snow, so we're not looking forward to that. Although, wait a minute, I could go skiing, couldn't I? Hmm, maybe I'll do that. <laughs> we're, we're close to the end of winter here. Very, very close. You can feel it in the air. Yeah, I'm glad you can. <laughs> <laughs> I like to use a little imagination with this. You know, I always, I think I've mentioned this before, we have two forecasts that we can check readily, and, and I always go with the one that's the best. I mean, I, I'm an optimist. Well, of course, you have to be. Glass is half full, right? <laughs> And Sam, who Sam Manicom, who is who's not at home, he's once again in the United States. Where are you, Sam? I'm in Washington D.C. at the moment, and um, Burgett's with me. Uh, we've just finished the Timonium Motorcycle Show up in uh, Maryland, and uh, we've uh, ducked down into Washington D.C. for a couple of days of R and R and exploring. Um, 
Actually, I tell you what, we've had a magic day today. Um, we woke up to clear blue skies this morning and we walked solidly for nine hours. Um, there is so much to see in this city. Um, it's quite phenomenal. And I know you've got a lot of government business you're, you're on right now and you probably don't want to talk about that with, with everyone else. But I did see some photos on Facebook. I saw somebody posted a, a photo that they got of you um, saying that they were they're happy to, to stand beside you and prove that, that Birgit really exists. So they posted that photo of the three of you standing there, which I thought was very cool. And I just saw an email come in where they were saying something about being starstruck because they met you at the Timonium uh, motorcycle show. So it sounds like you had a good uh. time. Uh, it was absolutely phenomenal. And I tell you what, though, we nearly got a T-shirt made. We just could not work out what the logo on the front should say. Um, one version was, no, I'm not a figment of Sam's imagination. Um, and another one we came close to was, yes, this is the real Birgit. Um, but uh, she, she just did her Maasai impersonation behind the counter a few times. And um, Yeah, no, it was really nice having her with me. Um, and talking of, uh, of people there, um, we had um, 37 listeners of Adventure Rider Radio that came to say hello at the show. Oh, very nice. Um, absolutely fantastic. And the feedback from everybody about Adventure Rider Radio Raw was just, um, yeah, absolutely spot on. And um, nearly everybody said, make sure you say hello to, to the rest of the crew for us, would you? So um, consider yourselves hallowed from everybody, guys. Ah, that's wonderful. And hello back. <laughs> well, back in Bulgaria after a, a stint in India, we have Graham Field. Graham, good morning. Good morning. And that's what? it. Quite <laughs> 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 a <laughs> Wake up, sunshine. <laughs> You've been up for what an hour now already. Yeah, nearly. Oh, it was a really restless night because I didn't bother setting an alarm. I knew I had to get up for this, uh, which I should have just set an alarm. But um, <laughs> so I didn't have. A, I had a really restless night, and then and then uh, so I'll wake up. Don't worry, carry on. <laughs> You know, a, a lot of listeners will remember the fact that we used to be recording all the time at night when you were sort of falling asleep, and now we've got you early in the morning. It's not exactly a convenient time, though, for it. It'd be nicer if we could get you at noon. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? We had a little chat um, uh, when I was in India, and that was, yeah, a very civilized time. But that wouldn't be civilized for everybody else. So I just grin and bear it. You know, it's a cross I have to bear living in this area of this part of the country or world. But I tell you what, what the. Listen. Stop muttering, Graham. It's it's gone 11 o'clock at night here. My turn. <laughs> Graham Martyr, that's the word we'll use. <laughs> Graham Martyr. Mar Mark's my middle name, Martyr. Yeah. <laughs> now, tell you what was good, though. Flew back from India. And if I was flying back from India back to my former home, back to the greyness of the February England, I would have been pretty down those post-holiday blues. But flying back into Bulgaria, it's like I'm home. But I'm not home. I understood more in India than I do in Bulgaria. <laughs> but so um, it's, it's really good to be where I live, whatever you call it, home or temporary resident or whatever I am. Does a trip to India do that to you? Does it make you appreciate home more? I mean, other than the language oh, thing? It makes you appreciate everything more. It should be in the national curriculum. It's so important to go to India. It is huge. You, you say, I will never moan about anything in my life again. And then, of course, you get back and you do. But um, 
we're so lucky we're so privileged and india is so magical and it's changed so much but it's kept all of its charm and lost a lot of um the, the its worst points it's it's a wonderful thing and i think it was five years since i'd last been there a bit longer from a girlfriend and we both said we're not going to leave it so long next time it's uh, it's a wonderful place everybody's been there right Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep, absolutely. You know no, what I'm I have talking not. about. But, but I, I thought it was really interesting what you said about the technology and having, you know, such a huge difference with technology. Tell that story about India. Well, okay. You're obviously not going to use the stuff I could talk well, to I you about. I don't know if I will, but it won't matter anyway because, you know, <laughs> oh, okay, we're only going to talk about it briefly anyway. here. Uh, well, it was just uh, when I was – you mean about the, the changes I saw? Jim, yeah, that's what yeah. You mean, right? Well, when I was first there, it was 96, and it was a, a very different place. The only two Western TV programs they got were WWF Wrestling and Baywatch, and they got their impression of the West from those two programs. And there's me with me long hair and me singlet, and they all thought I was some me tattooed arms, and they thought I was some WWF wrestler. So it was, and they would stare. I mean, the harshest, unblinking, shameless staring. And, and I, I've seen it progress a little bit, but the biggest change this time, everybody has a smartphone and they're all staring at them instead. And of course, I mean, Indians, I think, as a race to generalise, uh, are always hungry for knowledge and information. And so they are so informed now. And because my girlfriend speaks Hindi, we were able to have conversations with everybody. And there's just this wonderful sort of embrace of technology and they've all become the westerners they so wanted to be i mean the girls dress a lot more different now there's no more saris and sour camises it's all tight jeans and t-shirts and there's baseball caps and they are they've become the westerners they want to be but they've kept their eastern mystique they've got all the good points of, of western society and managed to not get in the bad points they really are becoming a it's desperately overcrowded but they are becoming like this ideal nation almost in many respects so they're staring at their phones like everybody else is and it makes you wonder oh, what's it, what are you going to be like in 20 years hunchbacks it's so funny it's <laughs> everywhere i look i mean i was just taking photographs of and selfies oh my god everybody oh can i have a selfie with you sir and there's so many selfies all the time <laughs> <laughs> so they, they they thought you were a wrestler because they've read the book brian obviously but prior to that they thought i was a wrestler <laughs> i thought brian was a wrestler too who, who i think i was oh, jesse the hulk hogan or something something like that, something like that. So, a taxi driver said he said you're you're hulk hogan i said no i'm not he said yes you are sir yes you are sir <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it was hulk hogan but it, was it was one of those i can't remember who it was now but Oh, they're very funny and it's such a wonderful, wonderful people, very open and, you know, um, uh, for when we were there, you know, poverty was, it was a big problem, Graham. I don't know what it's like now, but, um, well, it, you know, general, you see, sorry, mate. It, sorry, I guess in general it's got better, but I mean, you, you, the train from sort of Agra to Delhi, you're looking out the window and you see the slums at the side of the tracks and the way people live, still satellites on their roofs. Barely, you know, tin roofs and mud walls, barely the weight to support a satellite dish. They've got them, but, I mean, nothing else. It really is mind-blowing. I don't think words or pictures would ever capture it. It's something you have to see and deal with in your own way. But 
Yeah, still yeah, the poverty, right. but but not across the country, uh, not across the board like it used to be. Traveling in second class sleeper yeah. trains, generally, the, the 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 standard of the beggar was a much higher standard than it used to gotcha. be. Yeah. <laughs> and it still it still bills itself as the world's largest democracy, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, uh, you you mentioned beggars, people standing on the side of the road. It made me think of uh, just uh, around Christmas time. We went down to Nanaimo here and uh, saw some guy standing at the side of the road who was begging for money, and he had a couple of dogs sitting beside him. And you only got a second because it's a stop sign, right? And I think, and okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to just give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm I'm not really sold, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. So I whip the window down. I hand him out a five dollar bill. He takes it. Thanks very much. And and I pull away. And um, we're in this mall about uh, oh, an hour or so later, and I look up, and it's the same guy, except he's clean looking now, but he's wearing the same clothes, and he's got two kids with him. He's going shopping. And, and I, Your five dollar bill. And I, couldn't help, I, I felt like going up to him, saying, "Okay, come on, give me the five dollars back." <laughs> Sounds like he's got a good business going. He must have, yeah. Wow. So from we, uh, whenever I was just going to say whenever I, I fly to a country like that, the the the, uh, the pillow and the blanket that they give you on the plane for an overnight flight, I always stuff them in my bag when they turn out all the lights for the landing and then have them with me. They're very handy for train rides and bus rides, a little bit of padding under your bum, and um, so and, and also with the deliberate intention of giving them to someone who needed them. And we were in a street and there was a stoplight and there were these two. Uh, girls in rags I mean these little girls probably seven or eight and just clearly homeless and they do little acrobats and, and things for the stop traffic in front and so I gave them my little bag with my uh, with my blanket and my and my pillow so in some slum in Delhi there's a, a poor little girl who's got an Air France pillow and, <laughs> and blanket. That is, that is so sweet to know that you're stealing from Air France to give to people who need it. I mean that's great. Yeah, Robin Hood really. Well they lost my luggage for 48 hours. I thought I was entitled to it. <laughs> but you, you thought yeah. in advance so you grabbed it in advance knowing that they were going to do that. Oh, good point Jim yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was their revenge. No, I know why they don't give silverware out anymore on flights like they used to. <laughs> Some of the airlines used to have silverware and, and glass dishes and stuff, but I guess there was too many Graham Fields riding. It's got a lovely set of cutlery in the drawer. <laughs> so coming from one of our listeners, I think this is where this came from, but somebody had inquired of um, countries that were easy to get into for people who, who are concerned about border crossings, you know, the hassle, et cetera, with border crossings. What do you guys have for, for countries that you know of that always seem to be a breeze to get in and out of? Well, Europe's pretty easy because there aren't borders once you get into Europe. Even landing in the UK, no problem. When we crossed into Turkey, no problem. We approached that with a yeah. bit of trepidation, but that was no problem. Look, I think with – I know so many people um, ask the border question and always have um, fears of crossing borders – but really, if you take your time and you're nice to the border guards and you make sure your paperwork's in order before you get there, borders really aren't that difficult. I mean, if anything, for Australians, getting into the US can be a little bit troublesome sometimes if you don't have one of the five-year multiple entry visas and have had a, uh, a meeting with the local consul in your home state. 
I think it's a lot of it's about the attitude that you go in with. I mean, every border is different and they all and they change. So you can never be quite sure how hard is it going to be. I mean, there's there's always a few, the, the famous Egypt or into India by by land. Um, Central America is it's a pain in the neck. So you're always going to have some that are going to be harder than others. But a lot of it is about your attitude. I mean, I've said this before many, many, many times to people. Um, you have a choice of how you approach a border, whether it's going to be a crappy experience or it's going to be in a horrible, frustrating day or, you know, this is going to be interesting. Who am I going to meet while going through this process? And let's see if I can break my previous record for unnecessary documentation required or the most copies, <laughs> photocopies, the farthest away. It, it's, it's part of the adventure. Go with it. It's, it's definitely a part of the experience. And you don't want to be the guy who doesn't have a border crossing experience to talk about. I totally agree. To <laughs> it's all about your attitude because some people will give you the frighteners about a, a border, which to you is no problem at all. Yep. And you've got to think, which, what attitude did you have? Like, no, you're not looking in my panniers. You ain't going to win that one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I found in South America, um, the number one thing, and I don't know why I did it, but I just walked up to the first border guy that I had to deal with. He walked up to him and said, hola, hola and shook his hand. The difference in his attitude was absolutely stunning. All of a sudden, I was a guest in his country, and it was, <laughs> he, could, he couldn't do enough to help me get through the process. Excellent. And the same thing going into uh, Egypt from Libya. We came in th through the land, and it was a time when Libya was actually pretty good. It was fine. Um, but I pulled up to this gate after driving past... I don't know, miles and miles and miles of trucks that were lined up waiting. And here's the gate, and I can see the border guy standing there, and I can see the compound where there's all these buildings scattered all over the place. And I go, oh, boy, this is not going to be fun. And I drove up right up to the guy, and I said, um, you know, how long is this going to take? Uh, what's the story here? And he said, well, when there's room, we'll let you in again. And I said, shukran, which is Arabic for thank you. And he just looked at me, and he said, Oh, you speak Arabic. Welcome to my country, sir. And he lifted the gate and waved me in. Just like that. <laughs> yeah. It's your attitude and how you approach it and how you treat them. Uh, if you treat them as people and welcome and hold, shake your hand and friendly and a smile on your face, and you're going in prepared, you've been fed, you've got water, you've got snacks to eat during the day, hey, it's going to be an interesting adventure. Treat it that way and you'll be fine. But go in with a bad attitude. This is going to be shit. And I guarantee it will be. And I generally try and hit them in the morning. I'm fresh. They're yes. fresh. I've got all day. I'm not waiting to think, oh, my God, it's going to get dark. I've got to try and find a place to stay at this country or the next. So I think fresh and early in the morning is, is always a good tip. Having good said advice. that. I was uh, I was coming back from the UK to Bulgaria, and once you leave the Schengen zone from uh, Hungary into Romania, there's always a, a big border and passport check. And I was in the van, and I had a motorcycle in the back of the van. It was in my name, but it's you know it's just they if, if they see the motorcycle, they want to see documentation, they want to check frame numbers. Why are you holding a motorcycle and stuff? And it was two o'clock in the morning, and I, I was tunnel vision. I wanted to get home, and so I would never do a border at two o'clock in the morning. And as I approached it, there's no other vehicle and every, it was a warm summer night and everybody is out from the guy with four stars on his shoulder to the three stars or two stars and then the little pleb they're all out there smoking and hanging out and so as I approached I'm the only vehicle and they all turned their heads and I thought oh god here I am a break from the boredom they're gonna just 
pull me apart. And the pleb was the one who was had to deal with me. But clearly he was sucking up to the people with stars. So he saw me come and I handed my passport. She said, yep, go. <laughs> You're interrupting my conversation. My chance of promotion be gone. And I thought, bloody hell, that was easy. <laughs> Sam, you've been very quiet. Um, yeah, I'm just listening to what everybody's saying, and I think that um, the comments are all oh, absolutely spot on. I guess I always approach a border thinking, hey, look, this could take six hours. And then if it takes an hour or two, then it's just a complete bonus. Um, I really like border crossings. And I think, yeah, the key is you've got all of the right paperwork and you've got the right attitude. Treat everybody and everything with respect and a smile and a handshake and... Um, it's just borders are fun they're not something to be feared as Grant said they're an adventure every time Um, no I like them and I remember I after the Egypt border crossing our next actual on on land border crossing we had to fly from Egypt to Kenya so we went into Kenya the usual air method and all the rest of that sort of thing so our next land border was Tanzania and I remember thinking as I rode up to it Oh, this is going to be another Egypt. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. And drove up and there was like nobody there. There was no line. There was a building. It was marked customs or something. I walked in carrying my paperwork. One guy behind the counter, he looked at me and said, papers. I handed him the papers. He went flick, 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 stamp, stamp, stamp. Have a good day, sir. That was it. It was like five minutes. Wow. <laughs> what a change. So you never know. You just never know what it's going to be like. Just go prepare. Sometimes the hardest border crossings, certainly we found some of the harder border crossings, have been when you arrive somewhere by air. Yeah. Mm. Because they, they're big city um, bureaucrats and they're not pleasant country folk that you might find on a regional border. And, um, you know, sometimes they will have rules that they will not bend and you just have to comply with it because you're stuck in an airport. Um, so, you know... It can happen anywhere. It doesn't necessarily have to be um, a physical border that you ride up to. You know, I, th- I think one of the things is that if you um, if you treat a border crossing as an experience where you're going to work with the officials to get things sorted out, um, and, and you're helpful and prepared, it's it's that attitude that makes all, all of the difference. Now, Birgit and I crossed the border from Ecuador into Colombia um, with a Belgian couple. And the day that we arrived there, um, their computer systems had completely broken down. And none of the staff could remember how to do um, everything by hand. And because we traveled (laughs) through so many borders coming up through South America, um, Berger and Marlena, they knew all of this sort of stuff. And they spoke really good Spanish. And they sat and taught the customs and immigration officers how to do their paperwork without computers. And it was just fun. and yeah, okay, it took a while, but it was entertaining. Yeah, well, you're there to meet people, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah, <laughs> here's a bunch of people and some interesting bureaucracy and some strange ways of doing things. It's all interesting. And in the grand scheme, I think I think very few people on borders um, actually want to give you grief. Every so often, you'll come across a job's worth, like the one that Graham feared he'd encountered. But actually, <laughs> again, shake them by the hand, give them a smile, treat them with respect, and. It just works. Uh, Shirley said, you know, we, we hear so many stories, scare stories about um, border crossings. Uh, they're just not worth being afraid of. Just be prepared. Get there early. Have all of your paperwork in order. 
Um, and it's so easy to find out in advance because of Google and all the rest of it, what paperwork you're going to need. It's not like 25 years ago where you'd rock up to a border and you wouldn't have a clue what they were going um, to ask you for or how many copies or whatever. Um, it's so much more straightforward now. Have you seen any evidence that, um, that shows you or tells you, indicates to you that having more stuff at a border makes a border crossing more difficult? In other words, is it easier to cross with a motorcycle than it would be if you were overlanding in a vehicle? Uh, yes, I, I, I think that's true. Um, we, we know of people who have uh, crossed borders with vehicles and had everything pulled out and searched. Um, a tour company, motorcycle tour company that uh, had crossed the border dozens of times, but this one time had their vehicle impounded and not allowed to move because apparently it was registered in a country that they didn't like, Argentina versus Chile. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think um, when you haven't got a lot and it's easier for them to look through, you know, how many times do you, do you go to a border and there'll be a transit van full of people uh, with their shopping crossing the border and they're pulled apart, whereas yeah. uh, we rock up on our motorbike and they want to search a pannier, so they do that and they find sure she we and that's the end of that. They don't they stop looking <laughs> after that. That's true. I think that's very true. The, the, the less you've got, the better. Um, one thing is um, – tablets be very very careful with tablets i think we've discussed that before anything with codeine or anything anything with engine ine isn't it shirley yeah, some borders don't like that they don't, they, they don't like, they'll confiscate it and burn it we had a friend who um had um, tablets that he needed otherwise he goes off his head and uh, the people he would traveling he was traveling with now they're crossing into... I don't think we need to, to be specific, Brian. Or somewhere <laughs> like that. No, we won't be specific. He might be listening. And he probably is. We make sure he takes his tablets. He's fine, sure. <laughs> uh, but they were going to burn his tablets and his mates have jumped in and said, no, don't do that, don't do that. He'll go off his head, he'll go crazy. <laughs> they had to convince the border guards that he was going to go nuts if he didn't have his tablets. So you mean tablets over computers? Like, Tails. Like, What's Tills. 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 Tablets. Tills. Not, not Sorry, I thought you were talking about... tablets. Right, you're talking about drugs, prescription drugs. Drugs, yeah. yeah. I was right. wondering why he was so enamored with his tablet. <laughs> He's addicted to Facebook. <laughs> oh, you Canadians. Say, the whole me speech you did, Brian. Oh, absolutely, I'm just... It all gets lost in translation, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I was it in a different, completely different place. I thought you'd be a bit more switched on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to let you down, Graham. <laughs> I was going to say, Jim, you better be quiet on this one, otherwise you're going to get everybody rounding on your tablets indeed. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> your nail brush. Yeah. <laughs> Good old nail brush. Any, anyone, anyone else on, on that about uh, border crossing and complications due to your, your, your amount of stuff you have? One of the things that, that does cause a problem with crossing borders is um, big knives and guns. Oh, and, you know, you, I, I traveled for a little while with a guy who was carrying a samurai sword. And there was another guy who was carrying a huge machete. And they always, always had problems. Um, yeah. And people, you know, I'm in the States and um, the, the bike show that I've just been at, there are companies selling um, gizmos to attach to your motorcycle so you can hide your gun 
um, with easy access and all this sort of stuff. And I'm just thinking, um, no, just don't do it when you're crossing borders. You don't need a gun and you don't need a big knife. Um, yeah. We had a great thread going on the hub for years. It was titled Guns, Knives and Hand Grenades. <laughs> What do you take traveling with you? <laughs> and it went on and on and on. And, of course, the obvious final answer is no, you you don't take that. There's lots of countries you try and take a gun into and they're going to lock you up and throw the key away immediately. Yeah. You just can't do it. And then you drive down someplace in South America and you see people walking down the side of the road and they've got a two-foot-long or three-foot-long machete. And it's, yeah. no, it's a tool to them. It's not a weapon. It's a tool. Yeah, and then try That's and take well. one across the border. Mm, no, no, not a good idea. Here, here's one. Do you ever have a moment during a trip, particularly, I guess, a long trip, where you get to a point and where you think, I just want to go home? Yep, I've got one. <laughs> where was that? We were, um, we were in um, Dalbandon in Pakistan, and Brian had chosen the best hotel in town. Of course. And the best room for us. This is around the period of time where I stopped letting him choose the rooms because I worked out that his idea of the best room in town and mine were markedly different. Anyway, this room was on a flight of stairs and it had a mirror, a, a, a window, but the window had no glass in it, just a, um, a screen across, a okay. curtain across. So we were in our palatial room. And I was getting out of my bike gear and I had my bike pants pretty much around my knees and I looked up and the curtain had been parted just a couple of inches and there were five sets of eyes <laughs> watching me get changed. <laughs> and it was at that point I seriously could have gone home. Ah, <laughs> uh, but then I took you to the Taj Mahal and that we're all, we're all was forgiven. Nearly. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know you could get a room there. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Susan and I were discussing this earlier, and we both thought and thought and thought and both said, no, it wasn't a single time. And I remember Susan was unbelievably sick, and she was so sick and on the toilet and barfing and the whole bit. And then I, I remember she called, Grant, come. I, what? I don't want to go in there. And I come and there's giant cockroaches on the on the wall about six inches from her. And she doesn't like cockroaches much. So I said, well, was that a time when you would have wanted to go home? No. It's just the way it is. It's she fine. just wanted you to come and kill the cockroach. Kill the cockroaches. <laughs> That's my job. <laughs> I'm the bug and killer. It's good, and it's good to see you such a loving, caring husband, Grant, that when your wife was unwell, your immediate reaction was, I don't want to go in there. <laughs> that, did, that did run through my head as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what about the frogs? Oh, but they, they're okay. Oh, I, I just... Uh, my wife likes to get up in the middle of the night and, and go to the toilet and uh, oh, we were um, staying down in Goa somewhere, a little place, about five bucks a night, right on the beach, it was lovely, but uh, the toilet was infested with frogs. So you'd, you'd lift the lid on the toilet, there'd be three frogs steering back at you and all that sort of stuff. So I'd have to get up and get the bloody frogs out of the toilet before you'd go. Is that the protocol, remove the frogs first? Remove the frogs. Yeah, definitely remove the frogs. I've had that duty too. Graham, you wrote a book called Eureka all about, you know, changing plans on a trip. Have you had a a time where you thought, I just want to go home? Well, I always think about this when we, uh, when we, 
when, when that question came up. And it wasn't so much I want to go home as I want to change. Um, at that point, I didn't have a home to go back to because it was rented out. But there are times, there were times in your, the Eureka trip and certainly on the first trip in Russia when I had just had enough of Russia, uh, which is unfortunate because it's a very large country. And when you're traveling on a motorcycle, it can take quite a significant amount of time to get out of it. But, what, um, for example, the, when I did finally leave Russia to, uh, to South Korea and I knew it wasn't travel that I was tired of. It was the country that I was traveling in that I was tired of. So, no, I've known when it's been time to move on, but never like I want to go home. I'm going back to the India thing. Um, I was, uh, while I was there, actually, my body was a temple. I was a teetotal vegetarian doing yoga every day. And um, Believe it or no one believes that was true. Well, I think they haven't understood exactly what you're saying there. What you're saying is there was no alcohol. There was alcohol. There was alcohol on the plane. Uh, So obviously I drank that because the more you drink, the cheaper your flight is. Uh, But from from the second... From the second I landed to the second I got back on the plane, didn't have any alcohol. And so anyway, got back home and within two days went to see some friends who had been feeding my cats and that, had a few beers. Oh man, did I have a bad tummy. Really awful. And I thought, how ironic that I've just travelled through India, almost constipated, and I've got home and now I'm terrible. So I remember sitting on the toilet, Not so the opposite thing in I want to go home. I was sitting on the toilet in my own toilet thinking, I'm so glad I'm not in India. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I think the closest we ever came to actually thinking, maybe I want to go home, is we were in Honduras. And this was during the Contra Wars and all that. We were driving down this middle of nowhere. I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere, Honduras. It's like jungle and there's nothing. Just riding along and 50 soldiers jump out of the bushes. Or, well, we're not even sure if they were soldiers to this day. They could have been guerrillas. They could have been anything. And all, you know, machine guns, the whole bit. And, whoa, uh, they're, okay. They're, they're, they're gorillas with guns, not gorillas with hair, Jim. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Brian. That could have been a worrying moment. Yes, yeah, I thought one. so. This is Honduras. There's no gorillas. Uh, gorillas in Honduras. <laughs> gorillas, yes. They, they stopped us. And, you know, I mean, what are you thinking? Oh, dear. You don't think at that moment, I think I want to go home. You're just, okay, what do we do now? What's going on? What do we have to do? And they just wanted to talk to us. Where were we going? And they were very curious. I mean, you think about it. In the middle of nowhere, in the jungle, a bunch of soldiers, you got nothing to do. You're bored out of your mind. And here comes this great motorcycle coming along the road. What is this? So they wanted to see us. Where are you going? What are you doing? Why are you here? Do you like Honduras? Oh, yes, we love Honduras. Um, and then they wanted to look in this little pocket on the back of the bike, opened it up, and there was a pack of playing cards sitting on the top. And the guy goes, part of me? Uh, no, that's, that's ours. Stupid. Uh, it's part of me? A little more insistently, I say, ah, si, para usted. <laughs> yes, of course you can have it. And they were wonderful after that. Very friendly and couldn't do enough for us and gave us directions and the whole thing. <laughs> it was amazing. And afterwards, we kind of thought, wow, that was an experience. But, but was it a, oh, this is too dangerous. I don't want to be out here and go home. No, no, it was just another experience. It was okay. So I don't know. How about you, Sam? Well, 
I never, ever have. I, I sat down and thought about this really hard, um, not even when I was about to be raped in jail in Tanzania, not when I was in a, a little Buddhist hotel in northern India and my body is trying to expel everything it possibly can from every orifice it can find, not even at those times. But I have had friends who have found themselves on their journeys and it's been a case of just one thing after another going wrong. And they've got to the stage where they're just thinking, what on earth am I doing here? I'm not enjoying myself. Um, this isn't fulfilling any dreams. It's just painful. It's uncomfortable. It's miserable. And one of my friends said to me, he was going through this situation and he just kept on thinking, but I can't go home. People are going to think that I've wimped out, that I'm not up to the mark and you know, all of this sort of stuff. And, you know, I was saying to him, so what did you actually do? And in the end, he said, well, do you know, after giving myself um, this pain for another two weeks, I turned around and went home. And he said, I snuck into my hometown and I stayed in my house um, for two weeks almost. And I didn't go and see any of my mates or anything because I didn't think I could stand ridicule. Um, and um, I said to him, so, you know, what happened when you did actually tell your mates? And he said they were absolutely astounded that I hadn't got in touch with them. Um, they just said, look, you know, sometimes things don't work out how they're supposed to. And there is nothing wrong about turn, admitting that to yourself and turning around and going home. Why should you carry on banging your head against a brick wall? And there's one guy that popped into my mind um, yesterday, and he's um, Bruce Smart, and I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning. Bruce headed off to, to travel down through Africa on a sports bike, and, yeah, literally everything went wrong. Um, and he hated what he was doing. So feeling like he had his tail between his legs a little bit, he went home again. And he was so worried that he was just going to get all sorts of scorn and criticism and flack and everything else. But, you know, this guy, all he needed to do was to take some time out, rethink things and head off in a different direction. And he ended up riding around the world um, because he'd had the courage to say, this isn't working, I'm going to go home. And then when he got home... Actually, these are the reasons why it didn't work. I'm going to try again. And I have full respect for him. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my point with this is that, you know, sometimes you've got to just turn around and do something completely different because, yeah, things have conspired. And I think we're all very lucky that we've never actually found ourselves in that position. I'm glad you said that because it would be easy to think that, okay, well, maybe you haven't had that experience because you haven't, you know, had tough times when you were traveling. You know, you'd figure that if anyone ran into tough times, they're probably going to be at a point where they're going to say, I want to go home. But those two examples you just gave, I think you said you were about to be raped in jail and the other one you were ill and, and expelling uh, everything from everywhere. Those two experiences didn't make you want to go home. So what are we looking at then? What, what makes you want to go home then? Is it attitude or, or is it personal tolerance for things? I think it's how much fun you're having otherwise. Because sure, you're having a problem at the moment, but is the rest of the experience so amazing that you just can't stop doing it? You want to keep going. If, I mean, if you're having, if you're not meeting people and the people you do meet are horrible and your bike keeps breaking and the weather's terrible and it's all wrong, 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 wrong. Okay, yeah, I can see, let's go home. But if you're having a great time, you love it, everything about it's wonderful, you're meeting wonderful people, yeah, things are gonna go wrong. I mean, I've been sick at home, I've been sick in bed, I've been sitting on the toilet with my head in a bucket. You know, hey, that happens at home too. 
You yeah, don't, well, you don't have to be traveling for that. You're in jail. I mean, Sam's in jail there. And I don't <laughs> want to give away the story. I know it's in one of his books. I think it's Into Africa. But he, he's mm-hmm. in jail there. Um, that's, yep. a, that's a pretty nasty situation, even if you're in your home country. The thing is, when you're in a situation like that, I think um, you're so busy just dealing with the situation, you don't have time to think about, I want to go home. Yeah, it's um, more now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've got one friend who had been traveling on his own um, for well over a year, and he ended up deciding to go home because he just found that he wasn't connecting with the local people and just everything was hard work, and he was lonely. Um, and he just felt, yeah, actually, yeah, I'm lonely. I, I need to go home. And and sometimes it's the call of home, you know, you, you're having this great adventure but there's things that do drag you back, you know, having kids and things like that. I I understand that there's a point where you're having a great time, you're having a great adventure, you're seeing all these wonderful things, but then there comes a point, maybe a tipping point with some people where it's time to go home. And we met many solo travellers who had partners at home who were really enjoying their adventure, but they were so lonely because they were missing their partner. And there was that call to home all the time. And then they would get over it and you recalibrate. You can do things like invite your partner out for a two-week break and see the beautiful sights or whatever it might be. But I think it's about recalibration as you're travelling. And one of the best pieces of advice we got was uh, when you first start out on a journey, do the easy part first. Get yourself into the rhythm of the road before you start. It gets harder and harder and harder. And all of a sudden, it's not that hard. It's just the way you live. Um, you, you deal with the situation day to day. Yeah, too right. Yeah, we did Europe first after after we'd done Central America. But then on our next leg, we did Europe first, and that was easy. And then we hit Africa, and that was hard. But we were well tuned into the travel part of it. So the getting on the bike and loading the bike and travel and moving was second nature. That was no big deal. So all we had to deal with was different traffic and different borders and different people. But that's only half of the job. So that was much easier because we did start off somewhere easy. And then we hit uh, South America and South America was a doddle. That was a piece of cake. There was mm-hmm. no no hassle at all. That was easy after Africa. So it, it's getting in tune and getting into the rhythm of the road, as Brian was saying, is, is really important. Give yourself a little time to do that. Don't just dump yourself in the middle of Africa. That's That's hard. Can I just I thought, go back I thought, to... I, hang on. I thought Graham had something in there. Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. It was just after what Brian was saying. It was a solo traveller, but not left a partner at home. There was nobody at home, not even a cat or a plant, nothing. And, I, and, and company doesn't necessarily come on cue. When you are lonely, when you could really use it, you can't necessarily find it. And, I mean, there was a point in Russia where I was a bit down, and I was even using the Lonely Planet and going to the popular places. This hangout, this is popular with backpackers. That's how desperate for company I was. I was even looking for places where there were backpackers. Um, <laughs> and they weren't bloody any. But um, it's, so it, you, but these times will always pass. You've, uh, you know, it's sort of contradictory to what Grant says, where he said, you know, the guy wouldn't stop and he wouldn't let company in. Sometimes you've got to keep going to find what you're looking for. There's, there's a balance there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah if, if whatever you're Just, doing isn't working, do something different. That's my philosophy. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, sometimes you come to a crossroads and the direction that you're planning to go in just doesn't feel right. So, hey, you're overlanding. 
Hang yeah. a right in or a left instead of carrying on going straight. You can do it. You've got the time. You've got the freedom. And it's that's that's the beauty, isn't it? Um, just going back to Bruce Smart, Bruce Smart for a minute. Um, I want to give him a bit of a plug because he actually ended up writing a book called Live Your Life about his motorcycle trip around the world. And he talks about these sorts of challenges in that book. Um, so anybody who fears that they might, you know, in their sort of pre-trip, that they might um, have to battle with something like this. Um, yeah, get hold of his book. Have a read of it. See how he dealt with it. It's um, it's interesting read. I think there's a video as well, isn't there? Hasn't he just done a movie about it? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he has actually. What is his name again? Bruce Smart. Well, in a completely opposite uh, question, describe a moment from a trip when you were sort of inspired to think, yes, this is why I'm out here doing it. Boy. Go, Sam. Hang on a second. I mean, you guys had this in advance. I thought you guys all would have had your stories in your head. Yeah, we're going to say we're letting somebody else go first. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll tell you what, I'll set. I'll set the ball rolling then because what, what Brian just said then is absolutely right. For, for me, there isn't just one moment. And, I, you know, when I looked at this question, I sat down and whacked down five different situations that banged straight in my mind. And the one that left into my mind first was on the top of a mountain in Tanzania in Africa. Um, and I was watching the hawks fly on the thermals over, you know, it was just a gently warm African world. And the view just stretched so far that I could actually see the world curve. And I was sitting up there just thinking, yeah, this is what it's all about. Here I am, free. I'm surrounded by all of these amazing hawks. Some of them are flying so close, I could almost reach out and touch them. And you could smell Africa. And I just thought, this is just so different to my life before. This is one of the reasons I'm out here. Yeah. Yeah. I remember a good one, too, if you want another one like that. The reason we were out there was we were in Tunisia when um, it was Hale-Bopp Comet, and we went out for a camel ride out into the desert and stayed out there for a while in the dark and stars and watched the comet. And that was, yeah, that was one of those moments. Wow, this is cool. You're in the the middle of Sahara Desert somewhere. That's very, very, very special. This is one that um, Graham will relate to, bearing in mind where he's just come from. Um, I was sitting in a market in India and I was sitting just just tucked away in the corner with my eyes closed and letting this cacophony of sounds and the mix of smells and everything just just assault. And they do in India, don't they, Graham? <laughs> yeah. The, you know, the yeah. cars and the trucks and the horns and the revving of engines. And I could even hear the cow munching straw near me and the calls of the vendors and the child crying. And all of that is mixed in with the sense of spices and sweet potatoes roasting on the charcoal and chai and shit. And the damp urn from the, the, the vendors washing off the dust from their vegetables and everything else. And I was sitting there and I, I, I have I, this such clear picture in my mind of, yeah, this, this is just so real and so alien to the things that I know. And also, I think sometimes that feeling, when, when I saw this question, yeah, I've, I've got monthly experiences where I want to keep it. But I remember there was an insignificant moment in Moldova, I think it was. I had a good night's sleep in an insignificant hotel, had some a bit of breakfast from a supermarket, nothing special. And getting on my bike was heading to Ukraine, which I hadn't been to before, kind of exciting. Might make the border today, maybe tomorrow. It was a Saturday morning. It was clear. It was blue. It was just a nice temperature. 
And there was nothing spectacular in sights or sound or taste or company or anything. But I was just riding and I just thought, man, I want to do this forever. It just, everything was right. And it wasn't anything spectacular in any one aspect. It was just me and my bike. And uh, when you can get that feeling from the relatively simple, that's all you need, isn't it, really? Freedom is the open road. Mm-hmm. Storm of thunder, Graham. You know, sometimes you're just in that groove, and you you get on a bike, and you're in a, a strange country, and you've got beautiful winding road in front of you, or, you, or you're on a cliff top overlooking a beautiful blue sea, and everything is just perfect with the world. And you yeah. come around a corner, and it'd be a little man on a donkey trundling along, and. <laughs> Or whatever it might be, you know, it's just that's to me is something. Well, I mean, there's a lot of them like riding along the Mediterranean coast of Turkey. That's just something you can't do anywhere else in the world. But we've seen so many things in so many different places and a lot of them are things we've seen on television and you've seen pictures of in books. But the one thing that really took my breath away, even though I'd seen images of it, thousands of times was the Taj to walk through that gate and look at that building and you just think, well, here I am in the middle of India looking at one of the most exquisite pieces of architecture you'll see ever in your life and it was just, it took my breath away. It was just the most wonderful, wonderful experience seeing that. I thought that was in Las Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a pretty North American thing to say. Yeah, yeah. There's a smaller one in India, though, in her gym that's quite nice. Oh, might have heard about it. (laughs) It's funny because this, both me and my girlfriend, both seen the Taj before, luckily enough, on a couple of occasions. And we've been on a night train going to Delhi, and we woke up, and it's, it's just getting light. And we, we stop at a station and it's Agrikant. It's the station you get off at to go and see the Taj Mahal. And it wasn't it bothered me at all that I wasn't going to see the Taj this trip. And then the fact that we were at the station, we were so close to it. It's like, ah, frustration. Mm, <laughs> I'm really yeah. going to go now. <laughs> yeah. Apparently they've um, got scaffolding up all over it at the moment, Graham, and they're cleaning it with some kind of black muddy goo that will take all the um, discoloration out of the marble that's been caused by the pollution in the air. Oh, is it? You know, years ago I did a trip, uh, before I did any significant trips, just a little trip down to Croatia with a mate of mine, and it was just a lad boozy trip. We spent more money on alcohol than we do on petrol, but it was a lot of fun. And um, (laughs) that was every trip. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and um, a lot of the he'd done his research I hadn't and a lot of the places you went to see had bloody scaffolding up all over them and I said then this was in like I don't know when it was 2005 something like that and I said then there ought to be a website covered in scaffolding.com for people who were going to see lovely sites and it could say actually this site's covered in scaffolding like Big Ben Taj Mahal or whatever and uh, oh, if it's covered in scaffolding I'm really glad I didn't bother going that would have been double disappointment wouldn't it <laughs> yeah, we had that. We had that in Athens, Phil, wasn't it? Prior to the Olympics. Oh. Remember that? Yeah, the um, the archaeological museum in Athens was closed for restoration, yeah. getting it ready for the Olympics. Not happy about that. <laughs> but, you know, um, there's so many things that you see in the world and it, it, they just meld into each other, Sam. I, I, I had difficulty with that question, trying to separate them, I must say. 
Have you guys been to Pato Lake in the Banff National Park? Oh, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. I don't think so. We've like been to The water in this lake is just the most gorgeous colour of turquoise that I've ever seen. It looks unreal. And when you look back at the photographs that you've taken of it, you, it just looks as if you photoshopped. You, that that colour just cannot be mm. natural. Yeah. And that All is that. one of those moments for me. <laughs> That is one of the most beautiful parts of the world, I've got to say, those national parks through there. Yeah, we love it. Yeah, unfortunately, one of our bikes was knocked over in the car park while we were looking at that lake. There's three of us standing there holding helmets all in bike gear, and someone came up to us and said, uh, are you guys on bikes? <laughs> yes. No. Oh, no, there's one lane down in the car park. <laughs> 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 that was the end of the lake experience. <laughs> Somebody hit it? Ran down to these... Yeah, ran down to these very nervous Dutch couple in a hired camper van who had reversed into my mate's Triumph Sprint. In, in their defence, he parked it in a stupid bloody place because he parked it next to a bit of snow so he could take a photograph of it by the snow and not in a proper parking space. So, yeah, broken foot peg, brake lever, mirror, but not to... And the Dutch were so relieved that we were OK about it and they weren't going to be faced with, like, three angels with swinging machetes yeah this is it i mean the fact that they stayed there you know you got to honor that uh anyway you know they could have just driven off and none of us would know yeah, good <laughs> so that's yeah that's my memory of that beautiful lake <laughs> a listener named mike sampson purchased a Ural. I imagine he's already got it by now because when he wrote, he said he's purchasing yeah, he it in a couple of weeks. Oh, he's got it. Okay. Yep. And um, he's got it. He's got it. And he's, and he's, he's getting ready to, to head off on an adventure. And he's going to, he said he's going to toss a padlock on the front door and, and travel through Pan America for a year. And he says, that's what attracted him to listening to raw to us sit here and talk about this sort of stuff. And he, he said, another idea is, a, is um, talking about how to deal with the details of so-called normal, in quotes, life when on an extended trip. And I think this is really interesting because I, I do hear these sorts of questions a fair bit. House rental, getting your mail, your bills, your insurance, your prescriptions, things like that. I imagine it's a pretty deep topic, but, um, you know, if there's some tips there off the top. Trusted family at home yeah. is, is really right up there. Yeah, Someone the who will... One check the mail or in our case we get um, a friend to come and stay in our house to just keep everything chugging along while we're away. And your brother didn't sell a house from underneath us. No, that was really good of him. It was really good of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we traveled, my mother did all of that for us. She just gave her power of attorney and she had access to our bank account. So she just took care of all of it. And when we first headed off, we were on CompuServe. So um, that was when the it took forever to get a scan, but she would scan invoices or receipts that we had. To, she wasn't sure how to deal with them, and she'd mail it to us. And we'd say, okay, do this. And that was it. It was, it was no big deal. It was actually fairly straightforward because we made a point of having as little as possible for her to deal with. Yeah. Um, we didn't want it to be a big hassle. But if you're, if you're renting a house and stuff like that, like Shirley says, yeah, trusted family. I've heard a few stories of friends who got sick and tired of dealing with it all just too much hassle and just couldn't be bothered. So family is very important, I think, to do that. And yeah, somebody you can actually, completely trust. We actually had that happen to us. We'd, we were only on a, a short trip across Australia and we got to the furthest most point 
from our home in Victoria to have the person who was looking after all of that to us ringing us saying, well, I'm out of here today. I'm just over it, thanks. Uh, I'm going back to, to where I was living before. And we were thousands of kilometres away and had to get someone to go and feed two animals for starters. Mm. So, yeah, you really do need someone you can trust. But you can set up lots of things now with direct review. debit the yeah. payment yeah. of, you know, if you've got regular bills coming in. And yeah, I guess we, if you're renting your house, get an agent, even if it's going to cost you a little bit of a percentage right, of your rent, it. it's someone who can deal with any dramas that happen while you're away. You're not going to be trying to find a plumber to fix the hot water service when you're in the middle of Uruguay. Yeah, well, I've heard some unless, really unless, horrible stories. Yeah, oh, yes. Well, I agree with that. Again, it's yeah. someone you can trust. Professional yeah, agent is the way to go. I've heard so many horror stories. You know, friends don't friends. know how much to spend, but a, an agent, they know what's needed. They do it all the time. They have all the right contacts. One phone call and their, their regular guy, Joe, goes down and fixes it. It's done. Whereas ordinary person spends three days trying to figure out who's got the best price. And that's not what's needed. It's, need, it's needed to get it done. So I think an agent is the way to go. Yeah, a friend in the UK, Mark Manley, um, he always uses an agent and he just clears his house out. So in other words, he leaves the absolute basics and he just accepts that anything that he leaves in his house, um, when he comes back, it could be damaged. It could be, you know, have coffee mug rings on it or whatever else. And he doesn't care because everything that he does care about, he's tucked away in storage so he can set off on his on his trip absolutely happy. Um, oh. with things and right. that yes. combination with letting agents you know he just goes off and you know he, he also has a friend who will come round and just you know sort of um, be on hand if, if, if needed and act as the middleman and that sort of stuff and I had some friends who set off to travel around the world and they did it privately so um, their mum was going to look after the, the letting and uh, all of a sudden, sort of three quarters of the way down Africa, they had a, a phone call saying, well, the tenants have done a bunk. Um, they haven't paid the rent for two months and they backed up a, um, a truck to the house and they've stolen all of the furniture. They've stolen the radiators, the boilers, the electrical sockets. They've ripped wow. the, the cable out of the walls and, and so on. These guys had absolutely ripped this house to shreds. Um, and driven off. Now, I know that's really extreme, but um, hey, it can happen. Mm. I think getting your furniture and stuff out is really good advice, Sam, because if you, you to most houses in Australia, I don't know what it's like elsewhere, are, are rented out empty. You have to provide your own, your own fridge and your own furniture, etc. So if someone, you know, scrolls on the walls with a pencil or whatever, you just repaint the house when you get back. But there is something else that people need to consider because um, Mike's talking about putting a padlock on the front door. Some household insurance where you're, you've insured your building um, will not cover you if the house is empty for a certain period of time. So if your house is going to be empty for, say, more than two months, they may not cover you if the house is broken into or if there's a, a fire or if a tree falls on the roof, whatever. So that's certainly something to look at. Um, what the conditions of your household insurance are. Yeah, that's something I've looked at. Our household insurance is exactly that, two months. If there's nobody in the house checking it out or anything for two months, you're done. I've heard some that are even less than that. And by the way, Mike actually is renting his house. He was just throwing that in there, putting the padlock on the front door, but basically he's renting the house out. <laughs> but I've heard insurance companies even less time as in two or three weeks 
they're saying that's the longest period of time you can be, you can be away from your home. And that's right here in BC. Yeah. Another insurance route. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other things that, to think about and which, uh, you know, you guys are saying having family do it, which makes perfect sense, but things like making sure, you know, you're able to renew your insurance. If it happens to come up for renewal on the road, you renew your, your license for your, for your bike or whatever other sort of things you have to renew while you're on the road. If you can't do it from yeah. a distance, you want to have some sort of setup with someone to get it done. Yeah, uh, thankfully, it can be done electronically for most people now. When we were in um, Gibraltar heading for Europe, we ran into that. We couldn't re- renew our Alberta insurance and registration from Gibraltar. I had my sister go in and into Alberta because she lived into the Alberta office because she had uh, she was resident in Alberta, and they wouldn't renew it. They said, "No, where's the bike? It's in it's in Gibraltar. Nope, we won't renew it." And they actually said, "If the bike comes back to Alberta." After six months, we will consider renewing the registration. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we ended up faking it. We had to. One thing that crossed my mind when we were talking about powers of attorney is medical power of attorney. You really should set that up before you go, just in case. Explain that. Well, someone's got to have, say you knock yourself out and you're in a bad way somewhere in the middle of nowhere, you really need someone who has the power to um, uh, make medical decisions. Ma- make decisions. On yeah, that's right. That's right. And mm-hmm. I, you know, that's something many people don't think about or get gung ho and don't worry about. But really, you know, in this day and age, you should think about it. Oh, absolutely, I agree with you. I mean, you've got to when you're heading off on a big trip, you, you've got to mentally and, and physically prepare for the worst thing that possibly could happen. And once you've done that, well, then you can go off and relax and enjoy yourself because you know that if the poo hits the fan, then it's more mm. likely going to be okay. And you've prepared it as best as possible to make those at home who are looking after things in your absence to make it as easy as possible for them. Yeah. Yes, and you definitely want um, to reduce their stress. Yeah, reducing stress is good. Yeah. And it's, it's a funny thing. I was thinking as you were saying that about the power of attorney and all that, you know, having that anyway – just as a standard thing, even if you're living at home. I mean, most accidents happen within a mile of your house. Yeah. So that's, maybe that's you should right, have right. that anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, going back to bills and things like that, um, we just contact every every person, you know, every official organisation and get our mail redirected to my mother's or Burgett's mother. Um, and, you know, they all deal with whatever comes in, but we try and narrow everything down so there's nothing complicated going to happen at all. And we do everything we possibly can to get rid of any debts and pay any bills and all of those sorts of things. So there's just minimal stuff. And whoever we're leaving um, that side of things in the, in the loving care of, we just make sure that it's very clearly listed what's what. Um, it's actually quite an entertaining analysis to do of your personal circumstances. And how much yes. of it you can actually get rid of, especially mm-hmm. if you're going traveling yeah. for a while. You don't need that, mm-hmm. don't need that, don't need that, don't need that. Hey, this is good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and also that person that you're leaving yeah. at home, buy them some exotic gift when you come home because they're, they're putting themselves out for you. Too yeah. right. Graham? Uh, no, but very interesting to listen to. <laughs> I was very much in the position of the listener there. Uh, so I haven't really got anything to add, but it was very interesting hearing what everybody else had to say. Graham, so you're going to rent your house out next time you're going to do a big trip? 
Well, no, because that is pointless in Bulgaria. The, the, no, but there are empty houses everywhere. Nobody wants to rent a house. There is no rental income to be had. The best you could hope to do here is to get a house sitter, which is something I nearly happened when I went away in the summer, but then didn't. Of course, you know, I'm saying stands to chase now because I got these bloody cats. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell them you said that. <laughs> yeah, no, they're sitting on my lap. They can hear me. But, okay. um, so, so who looked after them while you were in India? Oh, well, the, 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 there were three kittens. I've got two of them. And the third one went across the village. And so the person who owns the third cat comes over and feeds my cat and vice versa. So, um, and I've got these, in fact, earlier on, I had to mute my microphone because I've got these, I think I've said before, these automatic cat feeders. And uh, they even play your voice. And uh, at seven o'clock this morning, about 15 minutes ago, I've, I've had to move them into the lounge now because while I was away, a ginger Tom knew that they were in uh, outside uh, in the porch. And so he was coming in, eating their food, which was one thing, but bloody spraying everywhere. So it stunk. <laughs> so I've actually moved them to the lounge now. And then all of a sudden at seven o'clock, the, the automatic cat food had just started going off. <laughs> it has my voice. <laughs> <laughs> quickly muted the microphone because I didn't want to explain that, but now I am anyway. <laughs> that, that would have been so funny listening to you saying, here, kitty, 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 eat <laughs> 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 wow <laughs> talk about random topics <laughs> uh, Graham Graham can yeah. you do me a favour yeah um, I want to see a photo of your girlfriend does she exist <laughs> <laughs> she, there, there are pictures of her on Facebook when uh, <laughs> but yeah she exists uh, I, right. you know. oh, so, you, Graham, Graham, you don't want me to send out a T-shirt for the wear saying, "No, my name's not Burgett." <laughs> did we leave anything out of there? Was there anything else that you guys could think of? The, the big things that you've left in someone else's hands, or maybe you had a, had a way of dealing with when you hit the road for a long time. The only thing that Mike does ask about, which we have talked about probably several times, is prescription medicines. Yes. Oh, yeah. And he really just needs to talk to his doctor as to how much he can get before he goes, if he can get six months' worth and get yeah. the name of the generic versions of those medicines because in South America you'll find doctors and chemists that will provide stuff which in other parts of the world would normally be and on prescription. And, so, and a letter in Spanish. Yeah, a letter in English and Spanish explaining what it is he's got um, medication for and... and um, and, uh, you know, what he will need if he needs to have it replaced. Yeah, you can also take that prescription from your home doctor and letter into any doctor in just about any part of the world and they'll yeah. look at it and say, yeah, okay, yeah, and he'll give you a renewal and off you go. If yeah, you need a prescription right. even. But a lot of stuff that's prescription, as Shirley was saying, I think is, it's it's not prescription in very many parts of the world, so it's not a big deal. But um, his, his comment about, prescription said to me that he's thinking about having prescriptions mailed the actual medical the, the tablets mailed from the u.s to wherever no oh, no 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 that. that's not gonna work. Don't, do that. don't even think that <laughs> no you just get it locally there's people there there's pharmacies all the stuff's there it's no big deal and it's probably far cheaper too you can't go into a pharmacist though in North America or probably even Australia or the UK with a letter and get a prescription filled could you no, 
No, no you'll need not. to get a doctor to fill the prescription, but um, you take the letter to the doctor. You take the letter to the doctor. Yeah. Oh, I see. Right. Exactly. So, so you still may have to do that when you're in another country. You make an appointment with a doctor, take your letter and explain it, and then they write you the prescription. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And any and any B and B, any any um, youth hostel or anything like that, they all have a local doctor that they know. Yeah. But do take the get someone you know who speaks pretty writes pretty good Spanish to to do um, a version of that letter for you in Spanish just in case you find a doctor who doesn't speak English. Or Russian if you're going to Russia. <laughs> well, yes, but he's no, going yeah. to Pan, Pan America, so I just yeah. kind of thought he'd more yeah, likely to speak Spanish. Spanish. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've taken things um, written in Russian and Greek when we've been going overseas and we think we might need letters uh, translated into those languages. So. Sure. Well, I think that wraps things up as far as that goes. We'll move into plugs and then we'll call it a night. So for our plugs, why don't we start with Grant? Grant, what do you have? Uh, maybe last. I just just occurred to me, plugs. Oh my God, plugs. What am I going to talk okay. about? Give me a minute. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to move into... Yeah, I don't think we've got anything. I'm going to let you think about week. that. I'm going to put Sam up on the podium. Sam, what have you got for a plug? Yeah, well, of course... Sam's always got a plug, isn't he? Come on. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think it's important to, to make use of your time, right? I mean, here you've got the spotlight, you've got the microphone, you, you may as well make use of it. It's about the only time I do it, do get the spotlight, so absolutely, got to max out the opportunity. Um, I hope I'm not going to steal this one from Graham, um, but he mentioned it on the last show, um, The Ace Cafe um, in London. And that's on um, Sunday, uh, March the 18th. And it's going to be a really, really buzzy one this year because not only is Graham Field going to be there. Uh, I better stop you there, Sam. There's been a change of plan. I'm not going to be going. No, really? <laughs> Graham. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. And that was me bigging you up, giving you first, first yeah, slot I'm on not, the billing. And I better contact them pretty sharpish before this goes on air because I haven't told them that. It's only It only transpired two days ago, but um, plans have changed. I'm not going. Oh, well, you'll be missed. Yeah, sorry Mate, about that. Send, send me some of your leaflets, Graham, so that I can be handing them out because I have actually run out now. Oh, have you? Okay, yeah, I will. So, carry on with your plug, Sam. All right, okay. Well, <laughs> it will be not quite as buzzy as you originally said. So, so, everybody, there will be an empty space, but we will do the best to fill it, even if we have to get a cardboard cutout of Graham Field to stand there. Um, but anyway, this, this is going to be a really good one. Ace Cafe, London, um, Sunday, March the 18th. And um, it's going to be a special one because Steph Jevons, who four years ago left um, on her little Honda 250 um, to travel around the world, will be arriving back in the UK in time for um, Sunday, March the 18th. And she'll have been on the road for four years. And she's the first Brit to have ridden her motorcycle on um, seven continents. I was at the show, in, you know, Timonium show with her uh, last weekend. And this girl is such a buzzy lass. And she's had so many wonderful experiences and challenges and um, situations that she's overcome. Um, it absolutely, you know, if you can get to the Ace Cafe, then do so that you can talk to her. Elswith Beard, who was the first British woman to ride around the world, she's going to be there. 
and Berger is going to be with me book signing and maybe I will have to get a special t-shirt for Berger to wear this time (laughs) (laughs) but uh, no it's going to be a really good one I mean the Ace Cafe is brilliant anyway especially if you like a full English breakfast and lots of natter I I owe the Ace Cafe quite a lot actually Um, we've launched two of my books there and my audio books would never have happened had I not been sitting at a bench having breakfast next door to somebody in the Ace Cafe. So, yeah, no, it's a good spot. Yeah, you guys are really lucky to have that. I would yeah, love to have fun. something like that here. Yeah. Well, the Ace Cafe is beginning to spread into the States now, isn't it? Yeah. Is it Florida or something, um, I think? Because there's two now, isn't it? Is there yeah, two? Yeah, Florida, and I think there's one somewhere else. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I think so. But anyway, yes, definitely Florida. Yeah. Not sure that they can re- reproduce the actual ambiance of the original lace, though. No, well, so long as they're importing their sausages. Ah, well, yes, of course. As long as you can get a full English, then we're good. Yep. Yeah. Graham, what have you got? Uh, well, is it a plug? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, this show's difficult, man, doing it sober. It's really tricky. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. Graham, it's all right. I'm drinking for you, Graham. It's um, it? it's 29 minutes past midnight at the moment, and I am on the Jack Daniels. Oh, you oh. Mary, but it ruins the rest of me day. So um, I thought oh, I don't have to do it, but apparently I do. Anyway, um, <laughs> okay, buddy, Graham, Graham's nervous. Can you just turn your head while he says this? There you go, Graham. <laughs> oh, oh, right, Jim. Glad you asked me. Um, well, you know what it is. I. Um, <laughs> Now, all three books are now available in North America. Um, So uh, publishers now got all three of them out. So if you've been one of those people who have said, oh, yeah, I really want one, but the postage is so high, you can now go out in your Barnes & Noble or whatever. They probably won't be on the shelf, but you can certainly say, I want so-and-so by Granfield. And say, oh, yeah, we can get that in for you. It will be in a few days. And there are a few places, various places it will be stocked. Uh, so, yeah, available in Canada and in the States and soon to be available in Amazon.ca and Amazon.com. So that's me, inevitable plug. But also, and this is why I'm not going to the Ace Cafe, is you may remember last year Sam was uh, bigging up um, a charity called, charity called Piccadilly, which is a charity in uh Africa, which is basically run by a, a girl called Claire Elston, and she's uh, she rode a, a bike all the way down to Africa and back on her own. And now she does this charity where she teaches safe riding and she teaches motorcycle maintenance. This, the, the main source of transport uh, is motorcycles, and the main source of death is also motorcycles. And a lot of medical people use them to go out into the bush to uh, to go and uh, sort of uh, deliver babies, and, and doctors use them, and midwives and what have you. So uh, I should know a lot more about what we're talking about, but basically the, the charity is based around training people to ride safer only on little bikes mopeds and basic maintenance and i'm going to go out there uh, for a couple of weeks and do me bit and um and i'm gonna and i'm gonna uh <laughs> try and show people how to maintain motorbikes and how to ride safely i mean i don't know Fantastic. how challenging this is gonna be and i don't know a lot actually which is why i'm going uh so <laughs> this time next month i won't be able to tell you a lot more about it because probably Fantastic. everything i've said now is wrong but that's what i'm doing and so that's why i'm not going to the ace cafe 
Graham, you're, you're absolutely wonderfully excused from the Ace Cafe, and I'm absolutely <laughs> delighted to hear this. Claire Elston is a total sweetheart. The charity yep. that she is running is absolutely phenomenal. Um, as um, there's a lot of fear with um, many of the bigger charities that so much of the money goes into administrations and and, and wages and all of this sort of stuff. Um, all the support for um, for Claire all, and that's in inverted commas because she really works hard at getting money to come in. Um, go straight where it's supposed to go. And Graham, I think you've just done a pretty darn good job at describing what she gets up to out there. And it's phenomenal. This is really life-changing for many, many people. So fantastic. Good on you, mate. Yeah, quite exciting. I've seen nothing of Africa. I was listening to you talking about Africa just now. Didn't were you talking about one of your moments was in Tanzania? Is that what <laughs> yeah, too yeah, nice well, it was. It's just a name to me. It means nothing. Other than Egypt and South Africa, I haven't seen any of Africa. So uh, I'm going to be bam on the equator right in the middle. So, uh, yeah, quite exciting, really. Good. Good idea. We had uh, Claire Elsden at the Hub UK event last year talking about Piccadilly, and she's just terrific i think it's a very worthwhile charity so good on you too yeah that's when we started talking about it in fact because uh, yeah that's right you were almost next door to her that's yeah right. which didn't actually have a stash just laid out on the grass her little things for sale and uh because uh, my daughter bought one of her key rings or something and uh, it all sort of that's where the seed was planted on the grass good. <laughs> well hopefully we'll get her back again this year because yeah i think she did pretty well there so that's good uh-huh. <laughs> I watched a brilliant TED talk just a few days ago, and it was how to talk and make people listen. And it's only a 10, 10 minute TED talk, and it's really funny. And it's all about, you know, the thing about keeping negativity and gossip and stuff out of it, but also like pitch and, and rehearsal and everything. And I thought, oh, I must do it. He does some little voice warm ups. And I thought, oh, I must try the voice warm ups before, um, before I do the recording today. But you know, I was doing my yoga instead. You just can't, you can't do everything, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Right. But if you want, it's really interesting. It's only ten minutes. I'll send you the link if you want to put it on the uh, on the thing. Because it's yeah, always cool. important, isn't it? It's, it's important for positivity. Just things within our speech that we might be unaware of. And one of the little examples was the guy was saying, "In my mother's dying years, um, she became increasingly more negative." And I went to go and see her once, and I said, "It's October the first today," and she said, "Oh yes, isn't it dreadful?" we'll get to you one day mate (laughs) Shirley and Brian what have you got for plugs Uh, a couple of things Um, I did a story in my regular column in Australian Road Rider on a lovely couple uh, Ty Clark and Sarah his his girlfriend Sarah now we had them at the Horizons uh, Unlimited meeting in Jindabyne um, when they were just setting off on their travels, they are now uh, landed in South Africa and starting to travel. But Tyson Clark's story is something else. He is a soldier and his job was defusing mines in Afghanistan and Iraq and places like that. And Tyson um, suffered a leg injury um, when in Iraq and almost lost his leg and uh, as a result of that, suffered some terrible PTSD and all the rest of it, but never, never, ever wavered from his dream to travel around the world on his motorcycle. And with the help of his um, lovely girlfriend, Sarah, um, they're on their way. But Tyson is um, a big-hearted fellow, and his big thing is 
getting rid of damned landmines anywhere and everywhere in the world that he can. And there's a group called the Mines Advisory Group, which is a, an English group that have been um, um, getting rid of landmines and advising villages all around the world on how to protect their children. Normally it's children that get blown up by just um, uh, landmines that have been left there for years and years and years. So Tyson's embarking on this journey, starting in South Africa and moving up on the western side and going to places where mines still exist to talk to people about um, how to protect themselves from landmines and all the rest of it. So uh, if you can, um, get on their uh, little site, which I think is called The Ride of Our Life, Shirley, is that yeah, right? Yeah, The Ride of Our Life in uh, uh, Facebook. So um, they're a great young couple and uh, I'd encourage anyone to get on there and have a look at what they're doing. They're just starting out now after a little hiccup where they uh, smashed up two bikes, but they've got two other bikes and they're, they're not letting anything get in their way. And they're trying to do some good in the world at the same time. So I encourage you all to um, have a look at what they're up to. That's one thing. And the other thing is... Uh, we have a new racetrack here in Australia now, which has just been built uh, at Tail and Bend, which is um, in South Australia. So for Australian listeners, you really should get in and support this um, new venture, which is just starting up. I'm going to head over to have a look at the a round of the Australian Superbike Series, which also incorporates a round of the Asian Superbike Series, which um, features uh, a lot of um, Australian riders in that uh, Asian series. Cam Donald is a mate of ours. Uh, Anthony Gobert's another. They're all um, going to be racing over at this new circuit at Tail and Bend. And um, it's uh, going to be quite interesting. So uh, that's April 2021 20, and 22. So anyone that's uh, got a bent towards um, watching bikes go around pretty quick and um, all the technology that goes with it, I encourage you to get over there and have a look and uh, support the new circuit at Tail and Bend. Okay. Sounds like you've got a lot going on there. Um, the only one, well, Shirley, do you have anything for yourself? No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor Shirley. Oh, sure. It's okay. Actually, I had a birthday a little while ago and um, one of our buddies from Adventure Rider Radio sent me a very nice birthday message and said that he hoped that all the people, the boys around the raw table on Adventure Rider Radio would be nice to me. That was his birthday. Oh, <laughs> and we are, darling. That's what we tried. That's what I was going to say. I wasn't going to say darling. <laughs> Grant, what have you got for plugs? Well, the main thing we've got going, of course, is events. We've got 26 events this year on six continents, if you can believe it. We're, we're in a little bit of shock that we actually did that, but... We weren't supposed to. Last year, we had about 21 or 22. We thought, nah, that's enough. We don't want to do any more. In fact, Susan said, I'm going to take a gun and shoot you if you do any more. <laughs> well, we've got five more this year. Um, Chile, three weeks. If you're in South America, get to Chile, Motocamp Pucon in Pucon from March 8 to 11. That's going to be a really cool event. First, first ever. There's a mini meeting in Bolivia, March 16 to 18, only a week later. So you're going to have to really move it. Pucon's quite a ways from Bolivia, so get that planned. And, of course, we've got in the U.S., Hum, Arizona is happening April 13 to 15. 
So that's the next big event. So if you're not don't know what a hum is, go to horizonsunlimited.com slash hum, H-U-M-M, and check it out. Great, fun, off-road riding, scavenger hunt, real challenge. So those are the main events that we've got coming up, but there's lots more throughout the year. We've got a new Sweden event. We've got one in Ecuador in July, Italy and Tuscany, wine country. For those who are interested in such things, Graham, uh, that's September 14 to 16. <laughs> You're officially invited to Italy, Graham. Please, please come. They would love to have you. So there are lots of events going on. Check out horizonsunlimited.com slash events. Wherever you are in the world, there's something interesting nearby. So what do you think your maximum is? I mean, if you're going to do 26 this year, what can you really handle? What's the limit? Uh, 15. <laughs> <laughs> do we want to put some sort of bet on that there's more than 26 next year? Uh, um, yes, well, <laughs> I don't want to think about it. We're still trying to get this year's events organized. We've got, I've got uh, one, two, three, four. Four, five left to finish off all the technical nonsense behind it. But it's coming along pretty well. We're getting ourselves organized. Things are moving better. We've got systems in place. And it's coming along. It's working out. And we've got amazing volunteers all over the world. What a lot of people may not realize, because uh, we've had a number of people email us and say, why don't you do a meeting in our area? Well, I'll tell you how it happens. You decide you want a meeting in your area and you put up your hand and say, hey, I'll make it happen. And we support all the volunteers all around the world. That's what it's all about is volunteers create these events because they want it to happen in their area and get travelers together. Talk about travel, talk about all this kind of exciting stuff we talk about on Raw all the time. And having a great time, great event, lots of fun. And that's how it happens. It's all volunteer run all over the world. So we encourage you, if you really want a meeting, Susan's going to shoot me when she hears me say this. If you really want a meeting in your country, just write me. Hey, we're not so that we much trouble. We, we do it okay over here. We don't give that much drama, do we, Grant? <laughs> no, you guys are good. <laughs> You're easy. <laughs> it's the new ones that are hard. Uh, okay. you, you'd been to several before, too, which really helped a lot. So that was great. You yeah. guys are easy. It's nice. Yeah, it's the new ones we're um, dealing with. Um, in Ecuador, for instance, we got Spanish. So I had to translate everything. Well, they <laughs> translated it, but I had to make it happen. And same with Italy as well. And we've got Francis in French now. So we're, we're working with four languages now and maybe more in the future. We'll see. Anyone, anything else for, for this episode? Yeah, While we've thing, been talking, thing. can I just add something? Sure. Yeah, sure. While we've been talking, I just got a message on Messenger from a listener who says that he has to listen to us while he takes his dog for a walk and because we go on for so long, his dogs are getting much longer walks than they truly deserve. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, we, we need to shut up more, huh? The dogs well, will be I don't know. Weight. I think it's a compliment. <laughs> I'm taking it as a compliment <laughs> that he just can't stop listening, so he has to keep going. The dog's Good conversation on, would be much different, you know, looking over at children. Oh, man, he's got that show on again. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> How far are we going to have to get tired? So, yeah, these are the dogs that hide the dog lead and not the ones yeah, that turn out right. with the dog lead in their mouths. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right, Sam. I reckon so. Sam, you had something? Oh, that's really cool. 
Yeah, I did. Um, can I give a bit of a shout out to Spencer Conway and to Cassie Nell? Because yes. they've just finished um, their round South America trip. And um, yeah, so they're heading up to the UK and they're going to be at um, a series of shows and events at the UK. And if anybody listening um, to this can get to those, um, they'll be at Nick Sanders, Mac 3, the Manchester Bike Show, the Overland Show, Hub UK. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, these two are just such characters and they've got phenomenal footage and amazing stories there. And they're the sorts of people who have done such hardcore, really rugged stuff. Yet when you talk to them, it just feels like you've known them forever and they've been mates for ages. They're really nice people. So if you get a chance to link up with um, Spencer and Kathy, then do. Yep. I'm really looking forward to having them at Hub UK. That's going to be great. Oh, and we've got Elspeth Beard at Hub UK as well. She's okay. being confirmed. Yes, excellent. excellent. I was really hoping for that. She tried to make it last year, but couldn't make the timing work. But she'll be there this year. So that's cool. It's been a long Super. time since I've talked to her. Have you ever seen her house? Of course, yeah. I've stayed there. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that is just amazing. I love that place. <laughs> Spectacular. You don't, you don't get fat there. No. <laughs> <laughs> So Adventure Radio got a pretty good plug this week, didn't they? How's in that? In the New York Times. Oh yeah, really? yeah. It was, it was thrown in a, What's this? in an article there, just to, just a reference to it. But it sort of referenced it like it was kind of like a landmark, you know, the way they said it, which was very cool. Anyway, anything in the New York Times, I mean, geez, if they're going to throw something in there, it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah, that's very wow, cool. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, did, did, I hope you've posted this. I haven't seen this. Yeah, I posted yeah, it. I like, shared it. I put it on Facebook. Right, no, I didn't know. Elizabeth did, and I think I shared it. That's what happened. Well, I guess that wraps it up. Hey, thanks, guys. It's been fun. Cheers. Until next month. All right. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Looking forward to it. See everybody out there. Cheers. Okay. See you. All right. Safe travel, Sammy. That wraps things up for this month's ARR Raw. Thanks to my co-host, Graham Field, who lives in Bulgaria. He's got some great adventure motorcycle books and audiobooks, t-shirts, a whole bunch of other things at www.gramfield.co.uk. Sam Manicom also lives in the UK. He's got four books and audiobooks, so you can follow along on his eight-year motorcycle adventure around the world. His website, www.sam-manicom.com. Shirley Hardy Ricks and Brian Ricks, also authors. They've got some great moto travel books. You can find them anywhere ebooks are sold around the world. Their website, www.aussiesoverland.com. And Grant Johnson is in British Columbia. He's from Horizons Unlimited, which is the hub, literally, for the adventure motorcycle community. Horizons Unlimited has tons of up-to-date travel information, as well as a huge forum to connect travelers from around the world. They also put on the hub meets to see a full list of hub meets that are going on probably somewhere near you, www.horizonsunlimited.com. And special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin. My name's Jim Martin. Thanks for listening. See you next month.